Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Good evening, Murray. Good evening, Lloyd. Well, I am so excited to introduce our guest who's coming to us all the way from Boston. He's a fraud expert, an author, and television news correspondent, and he's very cute. And I want to tell you about Robert Siciliano, who's an expert on personal security. With 25 years of experience in self-defense, security work, martial arts, white-collar crimes, and observing the human condition Robert Siciliano has been researching and keeping in tune with the aspects of security by staying on top of what's new and ahead of what is next at all times. He's also the CEO of IDTheftSecurity.com. He's also the author of a book that I have sitting right in front of me that I just finished. It's absolutely fantastic. I think everybody should read it, especially since we're sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. People are just not alert. They're walking on campus at night. They're driving around. They're not thinking. They got their iPod on. They're just not paying attention, and they really need to read this book. Anyway, he is the author of The Safety Minute, Living on High Alert, How to Take Control of Your Personal Security and Prevent Fraud. Robert Siciliano's goal is to inform and educate Americans to avoid becoming a victim of crime in a statistic. His thoughts and advice on all security and fraud matters appear often in both the television and print news media. A sampling of his work includes appearances on The Today Show, CBS Early News, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, CNBC, USA Today, Forbes, Good Housekeeping, Reader's Digest, Consumer Digest, Boston Globe, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, and much, much more. He's currently working with several boards and corporations, including Univall Pens, as a national spokesperson representing anti-checkwashing pens, McAfee Antivirus Consumer Advisory Board, and Biometric Signature Advisory Board. And you can learn more about him at idtheftsecurity.com and also more about him even on our website 
at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And thank you, Robert, for joining us from all the way from beautiful Boston. Thank you so much. It is an absolute honor to uh, be here. Well, in your book's title, Safety Minute, Robert, you, you talk about a self-assessment, you know, and just kind of putting things together in a minute. Can you share with us some of those questions that, you know, that, that my audience should think about and question for themselves? Well, first, it really is all about uh, taking a minute for safety. You know, it's, safety itself is, is, is one of those issues, uh, uh, safety and security. These, these are things that we don't think about consciously. It's something that uh, it re- we really have to learn. It's learned behavior. It's not something that we want to think about. You know, there's a certain amount of uneasiness and uncomfortableness that goes along with these, with, with, with these issues. And so if we were to take a minute, you know, every, every day to just, you know, put together a, a plan of action, a strategy as to what we're going to do today, you know, what, what the plan of action is and, and how we're going to be safe and how we're going to be secure, then I believe that we would, in fact, you know, be that much more safer and secure. That, and if you take a minute for safety on, on a daily basis, then chances are you will be that much safer. If you're just kind of banging through life and you're not thinking about these things and you just kind of, you know, haphazardly go about your business, then the chance of something bad happening increases. So if, you, you know, if you're proactive, and that's what being safe and secure is all about, is it's about being proactive. And so that, that's what the title of the book refers to. Now, you know, I really liked what you had. You know, I have in, in my book, Safeguard Your Identity, I have like bullet points where people can like take a self-assessment. And I really like this, I guess maybe because I think it's helpful to me. So that's why I wrote it. And I could see you did that too. And I want my audience to think about this. You had some questions there that I thought were really important, like, here you have one that I was saying to my daughter the, that goes to college. I said, when you walk, do you daydream, stare at the ground, or carry your purse loosely? You know, do you do that? You know, if you do that, you might be a target, right? A- absolutely, because you're not paying attention. You're not conscious of your surroundings. And predators, attackers' tool of trade is the element of surprise. They love to surprise you from behind, from the side, or they may use a distraction up front. So if you are essentially walking unconsciously, meaning that you're not aware of what's going on around the perimeter of your body, then they very well may choose you because they're going to choose somebody. That's their job. That's, that's what they do. That's their purpose in life. And they're going to knock down one victim after the other. You want to become a tougher target. You don't want them choosing you. So if you have your head up, your chin back, your, you know, your shoulders back, and you're looking to the right, looking to the left, knowing what's going on behind you, you are less likely to be chosen as their next victim. They're going to go after the person who's daydreaming, staring at the ground, you know, just simply not conscious of their environment. You had another one that I thought was important, too. When someone looks you in the eye, do you blush or look away? Tell us about that. The eye contact is, is very important when it comes to our personal security. You know, m- most of us, b- you know, believe that, uh, you know, it, that, that, that if we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, then we are uh, victimized. But the fact is we do have a large degree of control over whether or not we are chosen as a predator's next victim. Now, when you think about it, you know, if, if, if you were to, uh, uh, you know, stare at somebody or, or, they, or they were to stare at you, you know, certain, certain ways of looking at someone can really send a, a, a different message. Uh, if you were to look at somebody with welcome in your eyes, uh, you may consider that to be an invitation to be approached. But if you were to look at someone, you know, with a stern, aggressive eyes, 
you are you're showing a form of resistance. Uh, you're showing them that if, in fact, they did decide to attack you, that you very well might fight back. And this type of resistance, those stern, aggressive eyes, we call this the Medusa eyes, the eyes that could turn a man to stone. You know, I've had them turn on me multiple times in my life, and I can tell you they're very effective at repelling somebody. And if you're a person who, you know, receives eye contact with someone and you blush and you look away, you, know, you have a, an element of fear. Uh, you're looking like somebody who can easily be attacked, somebody who can be taken over. Uh, then you, they may choose you. So if you can respond to this type of an eye contact with the Medusa eyes, again, you're less likely that they choose you as their next victim. And you talked a minute ago about fear, you know, when you get scared. So let's say you do feel fear. And um, the question that you had here for somebody to self-assess is when you do feel fear, do you become weak and paralyzed? In panic and fear is a very natural way of reacting or responding to a potential attack situation. Uh, fear ultimately uh, is is you know we're born with a couple of different fears. We're born with the fear of loud noises. We're born with the fear of falling. Uh, but over time, as we grow older, we become fearful of many different things in life. Fear can be used uh, to you know get yourself out of a dangerous situation. When an animal is out in the plains of the Serengeti and they're feeding and they see a lion, they associate lion with predator. And so there's a certain amount of fear there. They see that lion, and what do they do? They run because they know that there's a good chance that if that lion's hungry and he chooses them as their next victim, then they're going to be eaten. So if you pay attention consciously recognizing this fear, when you feel something isn't right, when something in your environment you know, sparks your attention, fear is one of the, the, the greatest tools that we have that alerts us to danger. It, it coincides with awareness and it coincides with our intuition you know and it's right there ready for you to access and if you use it effectively it can get you out of a dangerous situation you know i know robert in your book you talk about in the book the safety minute you talk about if you get into an elevator and you just have that bad feeling like something scary the person that you walked in is in there and you're feeling uncomfortable get the heck out of there and i think that's a perfect example of what you just said if you feel the fear get it out Get out of there. You know, intuition is is, is a, a our sixth sense. You know, it's it's that it's that non physical sense that we all have. We call it mother's intuition. We call it women's intuition. But everybody has it. Men have it. Little boys have it. Little girls have it. And when you listen to this intuition, when you pay attention to it, when you acknowledge it, when the hair in the back of your neck stands up, when you when your gut turns a bit, when you sense danger more than likely something bad is going to happen. When a predator, a bad guy, has bad intentions, chances are they're going to give off energy, a negative energy, and we're going to pick up on that. And, and we are constantly, as human beings, giving and taking energy from one another all day long. And when somebody has bad intentions, they're sending negative energy your way, your intuition picks up on this, you know, there's a sense of fear there, you react, you respond in the first 30 seconds to that situation, you have a much better chance of getting out of a dangerous situation. What most people don't realize is in that first 30 seconds to a minute of any non-physical or physical attack, meaning if they even just have intentions and or they actually attack, 
And that first 30 seconds to a minute when you sense it, when you acknowledge it, when you recognize it, you, you have a, a, the, the most control in those first few moments. What you do, your reaction to that attacker uh, can very well determine the outcome. So if you decide to run, great. If you decide to strike them first, fine. If you start yelling and screaming, fantastic. If you offer resistance right off the bat or you run and escape, you're, you're, you're taking control over that situation in the very first few moments of attack. You know, Robert, in your book, you, I, I just want to bring this up when you were talking about scream is great, but you, were, you taught something to me that I hadn't really thought about, and that is when you scream, don't scream help because you're a victim. Scream, no, I don't know you. Get away from me. So I thought that was really important for people not to scream help, but to scream, get out of here and be, you know, aggressive about that. That was really uh, important. I was telling my daughter because she's on the campus here and I said, hey, if something happens, don't scream help. Well, what most people don't realize is that in human communication, the way in which you and I communicate, that first, about 55% of communications are nonverbal. Uh, meaning that they're in our physical body language. So our facial expressions, our eye contact, the way we walk, the way we carry ourselves, our posture, 55% of human communications are within body language. And then 35% of human communications are in the pitch or tone of our voices. So what we say and how we say it is communicated through our body language along with our tone of voice. And then less than 10% of communications are actually recognized via the words that we use. So all the meaning of the words comes through body language and tone of voice. Now, that being said, there are only a few words with certain tonalities that can be effective in repelling an attacker. Now, words like help and rape, they are not empowering words. They actually, when screamed or said or spoken, they give the attacker a sense of control. They, they make the attacker believe, believe that they actually have control over you. They empower the attacker. So they, they're really counterproductive to, being, to the victim being offensive or repelling the attacker. Now, words like stop are command words. Stop can actually stop somebody in their tracks for a moment or two, you know, if you scream it, uh, you know, a loud blood-curdling stop gives you control. Words like uh, fire and 911 are designed to bring attention to the situation, potentially getting you assistance. Now, the way I see it, we're all on our own out there. We're, we are on our own. You cannot expect anybody to help you to, to come to your assistance. You could be in the middle of nowhere or, or just frankly, just people who want to help you. So you can't expect uh, uh, you know, help or, or 911 to, or fire to bring attention to the situation. But, but the word no, the word no is another control word. It, it, it's a commanding, demanding word. And it is said that we hear the word no a couple of hundred thousand times before the age of 18. Now, that said, uh, screaming a loud no uh, you know, actually can stop a person in their tracks for a moment. You see what it does to a dog. You see what it does to a small child. Screaming it to an adult actually gives you five seconds, ten seconds, you know, or more of time to either strike them or to run in the opposite direction. This is a commanding, demanding word that actually can put a person in their place for a moment or two. 
and, and you can follow that no with, you know, punches and kicks and pokes and whatever necessary to debilitate your attacker. Right. That was great information. You know, when you were just talking a minute ago about body language and that such a high percentage of the real communication between people is through body language and then voice and tone. And just think about now on the Internet, it just kind of brought that to my attention, how many young people and and us, too, you know, talk to people that we don't know on the Internet and we can't see them and we can't hear their voice. And we're just communicating. And that is a great place for predators, isn't it? Well, there's no question about that. I I, um, was fortunate enough to work with uh, E! True Hollywood Stories Investigates and was their resident expert on Internet predators. And the, each story was about, uh, you know, young uh, women, young, you know, boys and girls, uh, older men and women who at one point in time had began to communicate with someone on the Internet. And the problem with this type of communication is that there, there, there is a lack of tonality there. there you know, there, there is a certain amount of anonymity there, and you don't really know who you're dealing with in, in any real shape or form. And people can say anything, and and the words are what we consume, opposed to the delivery. Uh, and those words, you know, can be nice words that have nothing but, you know, good intentions or, 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 or the, the idea behind these words is to, to shape a person's uh, beliefs. We essentially surround ourselves in life or do business with those who we know, who we like, and who we trust. That said, an Internet predator does everything they can to build a relationship with the person over the Internet via chats and, and, and email and so forth, uh, so that eventually you get to know them, you get to like them, and you have no reason not to trust them. And once, once they've succeeded in that way, like any salesperson, you know, any salesperson who sells you something, you've bought because you feel you know, like, and trust that salesperson at some level. And once they sell you, then they own you. And if they are, you know, a uh, you know, 45-year-old male, and that is, a, and they're, they're communicating with a 12-year-old female, and they've sold that 12-year-old female, which isn't that difficult to do, then that female eventually becomes a victim to that predator. That said, uh, you know, it is absolutely essential that anybody using this medium, this form of communication, that you know, parents especially know that this is what's going on, and they are installing you know software to monitor the child's behavior, who they're communicating with, monitoring uh, usernames and passwords, email sent and received, chats and so forth, everything that their child does, and really be in tune with that with that child, uh, even you know. Um, making sure that uh, you're checking their, their cellular phones and that there isn't any uh, chats going on in, or instant messages that are inappropriate because predators are as, as, as creative and as te- technologically savvy today as they ever have been. And parents, you know, generally are in the dark regarding these things. And uh, because, you know, parents, you know, they've got to be at least, you know, 25, 35, 45 years old, a lot of them uh, just weren't, you know, a, this technology was not around when they were kids, uh, and so they are just, you know, in the dark regarding these things. And you cannot be in the dark because if, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to children whose parents are unaware. Yes. I think it's bad for children. And as you, here we are sitting on the campus, and I think 
of all the people, my daughter's age and my son's age, and even my assistant, you know, everybody considers just using the internet for everything, for all sorts of communication. And I think as you're listening to this, whether you're an adult or whether you're a university student, you need to be thinking about what Robert's saying and pick up the phone. Even if you're doing business with someone, it's very, very dangerous because we don't know what they really look like. We don't know what they say. I guess video conferencing would would be a lot more helpful because you're seeing and you're hearing at the same time because you surely miss a lot, a tremendous amount. And all of us know that we've made mistakes and are, you know, misunderstood each other through email. I've done it. I've misunderstood people and people have misunderstood me. So I just wanted to bring that up because it's so important what he's saying about remember that that communication is really a facade. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And and there's a a tremendous false sense of security that goes on as well. You know, you feel that you are safe and secure in your own home, in your own bedroom, because this person is communicating virtually. But there are certain technologies out there that will allow that person who you might be communicating with to actually know what your Internet protocol address is, which means that the same address that the, uh, you know, your Internet service provider provides you, that person finds out what your IP address is, they can find out where you live. And once they find out where you live, it's a ba- if it's a bad guy, then it's not very difficult for them to get in a car and show up and you know, be looking in your bedroom window at the same time. So all that said, uh, parents need to be aware, students need to be aware, you know, sites like MySpace and Facebook and all the other social networking sites, uh, you know, we become very comfortable communicating on them. And what we don't realize is that our information is out there for the world to see. Pictures you post today for a, uh, you know, a, a party that you attended last night, uh, you, know, a, you know, a keg stand that you provide, you know, the, the picture of a keg stand, it, that's forever. And your employer is going to see that in a year from now or two years from now. Uh, you know, and that, 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 that's just one issue. And again, you know, the predators looking and seeing, you know, risque photos, bikinis and the whole thing. I mean, there's just so many uh, issues that go on with this that, uh, you know, the, the, the current generation, you know, college age, you know, they grew up with this and uh, sexting and sending, you know, lurid photos via text messaging and, you know, that is distributed widely and you don't, they don't kids don't realize, the teens and young adults don't realize just how much, uh, they're, how much information that they're giving out and how, with the repercussions that it's going to have down the road. Uh, and, you know, many of us don't really even know what the, those repercussions will be because, you know, it just, it, it's only been going on now for four or five years, you know, at this level. And, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I can't even imagine what's going to occur over the next decade or so. Exactly. And I hear from people as an attorney that they lost a job or they were fired from a job because of things that happened on the Internet. So beware, as Robert is telling you, to be very, very careful what you put on the Internet and search to see what's being said about you on the Internet, too. I want to just introduce you again. We're speaking here if you're just driving by and just came in on this conversation with this wonderful guy. We're talking with Robert Siciliano, who's an expert on personal security. And I just finished reading his book, The Safety Minute, Living High on, Living on High Alert, How to Take Control of Your Personal Security and Prevent Fraud. And we've been talking about some of the questions that he asks you in the beginning of the book to do a self-assessment about you know, how safe are you and how secure are you. I had another question, and this one, especially when we're thinking about the campus and, and people driving by in Newport Beach, 
people will have a few drinks. They'll maybe some of them are going to use drugs or something that they're going to not be up to par. What about that with regard to personal? And we're not talking about having a judgment about having a, a few drinks, but what about your personal security after you've had some drinks? Well, there's a number of things that come to mind. Uh, obviously, you know, roof and all roofies is, is a concern, always has been and will continue to be an issue. Someone slipping a Mickey in your drink, you know, that's something that people should be cognizant of. Whenever you are at any type of a function, you're at a bar, you're at a, at a frat house, whatever the case is, uh, always get your own drink. Do not allow anybody to get it for you if they insist still insist that you get it yourself. Really, you do not want to be putting your safety and security into the hands of another that could possibly slip something in your drink. Even if you trust that person, you just, you know, in these scenarios, uh, in these situations, you really have to be careful. If you don't know the person, especially, uh, you do not want to have anybody getting you a drink. And then additionally, you know, when you Robert, have... Robert, maybe you should take the drink with you when you go to the bathroom. Well, absolutely. You know, you always, you know... Keep an eye on it. You don't put it on the table. You carry it with you. You take it to the bathroom. You know, you, you, you never leave that drink standing by itself, giving anybody an opportunity to slip something into it. Because, unfortunately, every day in this country, that is happening to someone somewhere, and they're taken advantage of it in, in, in a very bad way. So, you know, that you just do not want that to happen. You don't want to wake up the next morning saying, what happened last night? and uh, realize and recognize that, uh, you know, you've been drugged. That that is a real problem, one that continues to go on. And some people think it's an absolute joke that they do it, and they – and essentially what they're – what they end up doing is raping the person that they did it to, and that is actually something that you need to be conscious of. Don't think for one second that it can't happen to you, because once you have that mentality, once you, once you have those thoughts, that syndrome that it can't happen to you, that's when you drop your guard, and that's when it happens to you. So realize it, recognize it, stress it to your friends, and whenever you go out, you know, there's definitely safety in numbers. And, and, and additionally, you know, when it comes to consuming alcohol, you have to be cognizant of how much you drink because when we imbibe alcohol, we lose a certain amount of, of consciousness. We uh, drop our inhibitions, and we start to say and do things that may get us and lead us into trouble that we may not do if we were fully coherent. That said, uh, you know, obviously in this country, the drinking age is 21, but we know on college campuses, fraternities and so forth, sororities, that many are consuming alcohol underage. Okay, fine, great. Play those games. Do what you want to do. Play quarters. Have yourself a party. But here's the thing. What goes on <clears throat> is that uh, if you look at society, if you look at our culture, uh, young women who consume alcohol Overall, and, you know, please just hear me out here before you judge, young women who consume alcohol, maybe a little too much, they get somewhat flighty, somewhat giddy. They get, you know, a little, they get inebriated to the point where they, you know, lose control. Uh, and, and they're really not all that aggressive, which is, you know, fine. You know, but culturally, young women are taught to, you know, be less aggressive, and that's just the way it is, culturally. Whereas men, young men, are taught to be aggressive. Men play the football Women take the home ec. I mean, this is just a cultural thing, okay? And, and as a result, you have uh, men aggressive consuming alcohol, and then what happens uh, with young women consuming alcohol? You mix the aggressive with the non-aggressive. Results in one out of four young women in college campuses being sexually assaulted because you have, again, young men consuming alcohol getting aggressive, 
young women consuming alcohol getting flighty out of control they end up going to the to the to the young man's college dorm to smoke a joint next thing she knows she's fighting this guy off she can't scream because she's just you know already out of control yep you're absolutely right i got to tell you a story and uh, Lloyd's not going to be happy that, that I'm telling this story. He walked out of the room. But one night, we were in Newport Beach, which is a very nice area, okay? It's not a dangerous area, but it was late at night, and we were coming home. We were walking, okay, from a restaurant, and um, we were walking. We, we have a boat there, so we were walking to the boat. And I got mad at him because he had too much to drink. And so, and I hadn't drink because I, I don't drink. I'm such a short hitter, I wouldn't even drink. So I'm walking ahead of him, and I'm kind of angry, and I'm walking pretty, you know, fast, right? And he's way behind me. And um, I see these, a girl and two guys. And I look at them, you know, and they look at me, and I just walk right past him, fast. And then I, I walk to the boat, and he wasn't, he wasn't coming, you know? And I, then I started to get worried. Where, where is he? Comes back because I only thought he was about five minutes behind me. Well, comes back 15 minutes, and he told me that they attacked him. They actually attacked him, and he had to kick them and fight them off and came back and grabbed a... We have a baseball bat on the boat, and he grabbed it, and he said, I think, you know, I tried to hide, and I went around a back way so they didn't see where I came. And, you know, the dog was on the boat, so I felt a little bit better. But that was a really scary thing. And here, because I was aggressive, walking aggressive, they didn't get near me. But he had too much to drink. He probably was walking like he did, and they went after him. So that is, it could even happen to a man, Robert. It, it, it can happen, oh man, and it often does. You know, while women are uh, victimized uh, a little more often, you know, there's about, um, you know, there's, there's over a million violent crimes that occur every single year, and men are just as susceptible and vulnerable to these crimes as women are. Yeah. Uh, so it's important that, you know, both male and female, you go out and you, you read yourself a book, you watch a video, and you take a self-defense course. You just know what your options are to defend yourself and again, you know, getting back to the alcohol thing, just making sure that you're conscious and cognizant. And, you know, I generally, when I go out, you know, in, in, these, in, in those situations, uh, I consume less because I want to be in control and alert and aware. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's what you do when you're responsible. Right, right. But it was a perfect example of what happened to us, you know, because I was fine and he wasn't. So let's talk, what is the difference between safety and security? Well, safety is uh, there. There is a little bit of confusion here with some people. Safety for safety is what you know. What when mom and dad said, "Look both ways when you cross the street." That's safety. Safety is protecting yourself, you know, from accidents and falls. Safety is hard hats. Safety is uh, safety glasses. Safety is steel-toed boots. Safety is accident prevention. Whereas security, security is assault and uh, theft prevention. Safety is a process, security is a process, but safety is protecting people from themselves, whereas security is protecting people from others. Uh, security is layered. You know, there are numerous layers of protection that you have to consider. Like a bank has a number of layers of protection. They have the building that is locked. They have the uh, alarms. They have the cameras. They have glass and window brake sensors. They have panic buttons. They have the vault itself. These are all layers of protection. The more things you do to be secure, the more secure you're going to be. And the moment that you, you rest on your laurels, that you think that you are safe and secure, is when bad things happen. Be Benjamin Franklin once said that to be safe 
is never to be secure. To be safe is never to be secure. And what that means is, is that the moment that you think you're secure, well, then, then you're, you're resting on your laurels. You're believing that you're okay, that nothing's going to happen to you. That's when bad things happen. So you, you really need to always be on your toes, recognize that these things can, in fact, happen to me, and just have a consciousness about you, have an, an awareness about you. Know that, that you have options, that you can protect yourself, and know that it can, in fact, happen to you. And like I said before, if you think it can't happen to you, then you very well might be victimized. And, and, and when people, you know, they think about being secure, they, what, they, what they say is, you know, I say, get an alarm system, you know, lock your doors, take the keys out of your ignition and bring them in the house. People say, well, I don't want to live like that. I don't, I don't want to lock my doors. I don't, I don't want to have an alarm system. And you'd be surprised at how many people in this country do not lock their doors. And, and you ask the question, why? And they answer. They say, well, I don't want to live like that. And I say, well, what do you mean you don't want to live like that? What is that? They say, I don't want to be paranoid. Okay? Now, think about this for a second. It's you crazy. Know, have you ever met somebody that was paranoid? I mean, ha- have uh, you? People think I'm paranoid. So, okay. <laughs> I'm with you because I have all those things that you say. And you know what I tell people when they say that? When I say to protect themselves, like you said, with an alarm system and all the things, and lock your car doors when you get in, and lock your car doors at night, and lock your garage, and lock your inside garage. I say that, you know, I tell them, well, do you have fire insurance? Why do you have fire insurance for your house? Well, you know, if you don't want to live like that, then why would you pay to have fire insurance? It's the same thing, right? Exactly. In, in getting back to the paranoia thing, if, if, you, if you've ever met anybody who's paranoid, people who are paranoid, and I've met plenty of them, they are completely overwhelmed with life. They are out of control. They have a dis-ease within their body that, that makes life totally overwhelming for them. Whereas somebody who is in control... They are secure. They are grounded. You know, they, they are in charge. They're, they're anything but paranoid. Security is about being in charge. Security is about being proactive. Security is having systems in place and knowing what your options are. It's not about being paranoid. It's being in control. And so when people say that, I don't, I don't want to be paranoid, that really is a cultural thing. That's a cultural thing that, that we've developed in this country over hundreds of years. One that I and, and people like you are trying to quash, that it's not about being paranoid, it's about being in control. Exactly. So we're speaking tonight with the author of The Safety Minute, Robert Siciliano. He is a personal safety expert, and I want to ask you this. You know, why do you think that violence is so prevalent in our society? Well, First, you know, violence is as American as apple pie, right? We love our violence. You know, the most watched uh, television event, you know, in, in the entire year is what? The football. Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Right. Super I mean, Bowl. what is that? It is a violent sport. It's people tackling one another. Right. You I know, hate we football. love that. I hate it. <laughs> well, but, but, but my it, husband doesn't. I know. I know. It is a cultural thing that we love violence. And, and violence is just a part of the way we do things. You know, violence is murder. It's robbery, rape. It's suicide. It's stalking. It's bomb threats. Violence is fights and sabotage, verbal abuse, obscene threatening, calls, letters, and emails. And, and, you know, when you think about, you know, from when we were little kids, 
I grew up with Disney. I grew up with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. And, you know, I, I, I have children, and not too long ago I was watching Bambi with my three-year-old. And we're watching Bambi, and Bambi's mother was shot and killed. Bambi's mother was assassinated. I know. It was terrible. I'm watching this, and my <laughs> daughter says to me, my three-year-old says, you know, what happened to Bambi's mama? What, what, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. I said, Bambi's mummy is taking a nappy. <laughs> what else am I supposed to say? Yeah. You know, you know, but, but, you know, this is a Walt Disney film, and Bambi's mother is assassinated. Right. You watch, you know, Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd. How many times is Elmer Fudd going to shoot Daffy Duck in the face? And his bill goes spinning around his head. And we watch this and we laugh. And, and it's perfectly okay because it's a cartoon. But, but we grow up on this. You know, the, the, and the, it's gotten worse, Robert, with all these video games. They're very violent. You're, you're killing everybody that you possibly can. And the TVs, I, I happen to have been a high school teacher and I'm a professor now, but I have very strong feelings about that, that, that what we see, you know, we learn and we do what we see. And so people will go like the Columbine or the kids that go, you know, it's like, okay, it's just like, the same thing that we do in our video games. We're just going to have the real thing. You know, they don't really see the, the line between reality and the game in many places. It's, I think it's horrible. I mean, I, I am First Amendment right person, but still I wish that there was more consciousness about what we're teaching everybody. The, the point that you're making is that we become what we think about. Right. And, and if we're bombarded with violent images or violent thoughts or violent news all day, every day, we become what we think about. Right. And, and if you look at all of the different school shootings and so forth, all of those kids, they revered and studied the Columbine killers. And they consumed this data, and they, and they became what they thought about, and they, and they actually went out and they did it. And, and predators make up a, a percentage of our society, whether they are, whether it's nature or nurture, there is an element of society that it's, it's around 1% that just is up to no good, no matter how you look at it. And many of them have something called antisocial personality disorder. Antisocial personality disorder, you can, you can look it up online, it's, you know, it's right there on, on mayoclinic.com. And this is a, a dis-ease, you know, whether it's nature or nurture, whether it's, you know, something that happened to this person as a child or just simply, you know, the way that they were born, that they have a propensity for violence. And, and somebody with, with you know, uh, antisocial personality disorder, they don't feel like you and I do. They don't have the same empathy or sympathy or value for human life. And it is said that it is, as many as, you know, one out of 100 people could have some form of, of antisocial personality disorder. Jeffrey Dahmer had it. Uh, Ted Bundy had it. Uh, you know, serial killers and you know, in, in, in school shooters, mass murderers generally have you know, a form of antisocial personality disorder. They say that most prisoners uh, have it as well. You know, these are the same people that don't have the same boundaries as you and I do, and that's generally why they are locked up. There are uh, about a half a million that's 500,000 registered sex offenders in the United States. Now, that's just a half million registered. There's at least another 
100,000 or more that are unaccounted for, and many more simply that just have not been caught yet. And these are people that, you know, live amongst us in society. They live in homes and apartments. They, uh, you know, they live in and around schools. They, you may work with them. Could be an employee, an employer, a coworker. Could be the guy pumping your gas or behind you in line your or roommate. checking you out at the cash register. Yeah, your roommate in college. <laughs> It, it very it very well could be yes people that you know you may like and you may even trust could could have you know this antisocial personality disorder they may come off as being you know cool calm and collected they may look like us they may act like us but they just don't think like we do and and they are out there and they're all over the place and it is up to you and I to recognize this for you to become an observer of the human condition to acknowledge people and how they act and react and, and what they do and what they say. You know, the, the, the school shooters, the, the ones that shoot up the workplace and kill all their coworkers. Yeah, going postal. Yeah. Going, they're, they're categorically, there's something going on with them that, that in every incident that we look at it and we say this person exhibited these red flags that, that brought them to where they are today. And they all fit the same M.O. They all have this... The, the same characteristics about them. They all did all these things, said all these things, were a member of these groups, had these guns, read these books. Like they all have the same qualities and characteristics. And, and it's just a matter of you know, understanding how that all works and how it plays out in the real world, becoming an observer of the human condition. And when people do things and say things that you find to be a little off, a little odd, a little inappropriate, that you know, may mean that they could eventually act out or be violent, you got to recognize that stuff. You got to acknowledge it. You got to do something about it. You just can't just sit back and go, "Oh, that's just Charlie. That's just the way he is." You know, Charlie may be a very bad guy. You know, in going out at night and and finding women that are in, in, on the jogging path and, and you know pulling them behind a tree and raping them. Like that medical student right by you in in Boston, right? Exactly, the Craigslist killer. Yes. Yeah. In 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 his family and his fiance is completely in the dark. But when they began to, you know, talk about the kid and, and his friends, they said, well, you know, he's a very intense guy, and, and you know, he, he did this and he did that, and, he, you know, he, and, and, and you begin to put the thing together, well, yeah, there was something wrong with the kid. And, and if you pay attention to these things, you can recognize this stuff. And sometimes it's the people that are, that are closest to us that we just fail to recognize these characteristics about them. But you've yes. got to pay attention. You have to study this. This, this life we have is a one-shot deal. And it's very important to pay attention to people and, and how they are. You know, Robert, it's interesting when you're talking about that they have something wrong with them, that, that it's definitely, you know, an um, antisocial uh, disorder that, that you see. I had a, a professor on who had been on 60 Minutes, and he's also a researcher on the brain, Marcel Just, and he was on just a, a few weeks ago. You can actually listen online if you're interested. But he says that when they do these MRIs on the brain, that you can actually see differences in criminal thinking. It shows up on the MRI. So when you talk about it as actually a disorder and it's a disease, it is a something that shows up chemically. Which is pretty amazing because I don't know what that's going to mean to the future. Reminds me of that movie Minority Report. But but in reality, it does show up. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to 
stop crimes because we see that and we can do something about it with chemicals. But it does it does uh, scare me when you think about you don't know the person who's your roommate, what they may be like. What is civilized conditioning? Is that something related to all this? Civilized conditioning is actually a, a wonderful uh, uh, trait that uh, American citizens have. It's, it's, it's actually something that, uh, you know, generally North Americans and, and others throughout the world, it's what we teach one another. Uh, it's what your mom and dad probably taught you and what you've taught your children. It's, it's civilized conditioning is, is what we teach one another so that we can live and function in a civilized society. Civilized conditioning is when you had your children uh, and you brought them up to give kisses and hugs and to say please and thank you and to have manners at the dinner table. You taught them that when they go to school that they are to sit in class and to listen and to pay attention and to behave themselves. Along the way, you tell them to keep their hands to themselves. They're not to hit, hurt, or harm another human being that you might worship. And eventually you uh, graduate school and you maybe further your education. You get a job. You find a mate. You get married. You, have a, you buy a house. You have babies. And you live happily ever after. That is all civilized conditioning. It helps us to get along and live in a civilized society. We're not teaching one another to go out there and stab and hurt and maim and rape. Uh, we teach one another to be civilized towards one another. But what civilized conditioning does, while it's a great thing that promotes, uh, you know, civility amongst, you know, uh, uh, human beings on planet Earth, uh, it suppresses, civilized conditioning suppresses our instinctual need for survival when confronted by a predator. Because if you're taught to be kind, cordial, and give kisses and hugs and keep your hands to yourself all your life, and then a bad guy, a predator, right, who's Brain scan obviously is one that shows he's a you know a predator or, and or he just simply has antisocial personality disorder. You meet up with this predator, they mean to do you harm. They start coming at you with a gun or a knife or their bare hands and they're attacking you from the side or from behind or doing whatever bad things they do. You have not been trained on how to respond or react to that situation. You don't know what to do. Your your natural reaction might be to become overwhelmed with fear and panic. You stop breathing. When you stop breathing, there's no oxygen going to your body. There's no oxygen going to your blood. You can't run. You can't scream. You can't fight. You can't do anything. You can't react. Civilized conditioning promotes that type of behavior to do nothing, to freeze. So what I request or suggest to the, those who attend my presentations is that you kind of meditate for a moment and you think about you know, civilized conditioning and how it has uh, taken over your lives and how, why it's a really good thing it prevents you from reacting or responding in an attack situation. So recognizing this and realizing this uh, is good, but then you have to think about what would you do in the event that somebody decided to hurt you? How would you react? How would you respond? And when I ask that question in my seminars, the majority of the people go, I don't know. I mean, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. But then you ask the same question, what would you do if somebody in your life who you were with, your child, your loved one was attacked? What would you do? How would you respond? And everybody says, I'd jump on their head, I'd you know, grab the attacker, I'd bite them, I'd kick, kick them. Kick them, right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if, if somebody was to attack somebody I love or I care about, I'd dive right on top of them. Right. If, if they were to attack me, I, I don't know what I'd do. And, and so the difference is, you know, A, civilized conditioning, you know, you don't know what you'd do if they were to attack you, but B, uh, you've, you know, 
you always think about, you know, protecting your loved one, especially if you're a parent, you would think nothing to attack an attacker who goes after your child. That parental instinctual need to protect is born within you the moment your child takes their first breath. So you're always about protecting your kid. But at the same time, civilized conditioning prevents you from protecting yourself. Well, again, I asked, you know, the audience to, 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 to filter that, to meditate on it, and to think about what they would do if somebody was to attack somebody they love. And as they visualize this, as they, as they ask these questions of themselves, and they visualize these scenarios in their mind's eye, they begin to see themselves attacking the attacker. And then, using that same visualization, see that attacker attacking you and how you would respond. And, and you know you have it in you to gouge the eyes out of the head of the attacker. Do the same when they come to attack you. And as you what if it and you visualize it, you see it in your mind's eye, and, and, and you process this, a mind-body contact is made. You know, this, this, this creation is made within you. And in the real world, you are much more likely to overcome civilized conditioning by what ifing and visualizing an attacker attacking you just by visualizing it. You know, as you see them attacking somebody else that you love and what you do and then attacking you, again, in the real world, you can overcome civilized conditioning. As wonderful as it is, it does suppress our instinctual needs for survival. So make sure that you, you know, meditate on that so that if something was to happen to you, you know what your gut reaction would be. Right, and prepare for it. It's just like being prepared for anything else. I think one of the things that you said in your book that I really thought was interesting, you said if somebody has a knife, for example, um, and, and you go through the, the various types of uh, dangerous devices that they might have, if you push the knife away, you may get cut on your hand, but it won't slit your throat. So I thought that was really, you know, it was an interesting way of looking at it is just, you know, go for it. Yes, they've got a knife, but push that knife away and cut yourself and get the heck out of there or whatever you need to do. So I thought that was really important. I hadn't thought of it like that. Well, the, the, you have options. When somebody has a weapon, you have options. And, and one of the best options is to run. That's the first thing that you do. Look, at somebody comes up to me with a knife. Yeah. The first thing I'm going to do is run. You know, right. they've, got a, they've got a knife. I am going to run as far and as fast as I possibly can because right. I don't want to get cut up. If I'm backed into a corner, there, there are a couple of things that you can do. One thing you can do is to grab the blade of the knife. Yes, in fact, your hand may get cut up, but it's better to grab the blade of the knife uh, opposed to that blade, you know, going to your throat or to your kill zone, which is your upper torso. You know, you're from your from your waist up is your kill zone. Uh, so grabbing the blade of the knife or grabbing their hand, you know, fi- fighting them in that way. Uh, you know, p- going for the eyes, going for the throat, going for the groin, striking them, hurting them in, in any way you possibly can, so that you can run, because that's the ultimate goal is to get away from them. Also, dropping to the ground. When you fight from the ground, you use your legs to fight from the ground. Your legs are the strongest part of your body. Kicking them to the knees or kicking them to the groin from the ground, using the strongest part of your body, you could do a lot of damage to their knees or to their groin. Plus, when you're doing that, you're protecting your kill zone, your upper torso, with your legs uh, from the ground. Now, if they have a gun, most people say, well, what, you know, what do you do if they have a gun? Well, what do you do if they have, if they have a gun? What do, what do you do? You, well, I guess you'd run, too, because they might not be a really good... Uh, I know I couldn't shoot anything that I tried to shoot. Well, <laughs> when you run, 
when you run, the run. further you run away, yeah. you, 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 you decrease the chances of them actually hitting you with the bullet and increase your chances of getting away. Yeah. And you've got to figure it like this. You know, if you stick if you around, zigzag you run, if you run like a zigzag so they can't even get to you? Exactly. Or... Every 12 feet or 15 feet that you run away, it, it exponentially increases your chances of survival. And, and think of it like this. You know, if you stick around and you, know, and you give them control, nothing good is going to happen to you. But if you run, you know, there's a 50-50 there's a chance they're going to pull the trigger. You, you increase your chances just by 50% when you run of getting away and surviving. Further suppose, as you run, you know, there's a 50-50 chance they pull the trigger. And if they do pull the trigger, there's a 50-50 chance the bullet's actually going to hit your body, right? Yeah. You, you decrease your chances again another 50%. You're down to a 25% chance of getting shot and hit by the bullet. Further suppose, they have to be accurate enough to hit your body, and it create a mortal wound. They can hit you in the finger, or they can hit you in the back of the head. There's a 50-50 chance that bullet's going to kill you. You're now down to a 12.5% chance of getting shot, hit, and killed by that bullet, which means you have an 87.5% chance of getting away with your life. I like those odds. Yes, I like them too. <laughs> I'm speaking now, and we're hearing wonderful good tips from Robert Siciliano, who wrote the book, The Safety Minute, Living on High Alert, How to Take Control of Your Personal Security and Prevent Fraud, too. Let's get back to this about what other places that we can protect ourselves. How about all of us use an automobile? In Southern California, we don't even have mass transit. So <laughs> other people who are listening maybe in New York or other places have mass transit, and they have to have different things that they'd be careful about. But what about with regard to our automobile and safety with regard to predators? Well, first, you know, obviously at this point, most, if not everybody, has a cellular phone. Uh, obviously, you break down. The very first thing you do is you call, you know, a trusted friend, law enforcement, or a tow truck, getting assistance your way on the side of the highway. It's not a good idea to accept assistance from strangers. There are actually people that, you know, travel the roads looking for people on the side of the road, and they stalk them. Uh, you know, so I would be very careful about that. Know how to change your own tire and do basic fixes to your own vehicle if it means, you know, getting your vehicle off the road to a safe haven like a police station or a gas station. Uh, if you have a flat tire, it's often better to just to drive on the flat tire slowly off the exit to a gas station, uh, you know, if you don't know how to change it yourself. Again, you do not want to accept assistance from strangers if it's at all possible. If you're ever driving and anybody starts pointing to a tire, making you think that you've got a low tire, that very well may, may be a scam. They want you to pull over so they can hit you in the back of the head, either take you or the car or both. Uh, and then, you know, never engage in, in, in uh, hand gestures with drivers who aggravate you. Never give anybody the finger. You never know who's on the other end of the finger that you may give on the road. Bad things can happen. <clears throat> Additionally, uh, if anybody's ever playing cat and mouse with you on the road, just get off the highway and go to a safe haven, a gas station, a police station, whatever the case may be. Never play cat and mouse with anybody. Don't engage in road rage uh, in, in any shape or form. Make sure that you have a basic safety kit, road flares, uh, you know, uh, reflectors and so on. Uh, and, you know, just overall, you know, making sure that the vehicle itself is in good running order so it doesn't break down and so on. If anybody ever bumps you while you're on the road 
at a light uh, that could be uh, a sign of carjacking. They bump you, you get out of the car to assess the damage. Next thing you know, they take your vehicle or you or both, whatever the case is. Uh, just if your vehicle gets hit or bumped, first thing you do is you call law enforcement, you let them know where you are, you give them your location, and you conduct business from inside your vehicle. It's best not to get out of the vehicle because, again, it could, be, it could lead to something bad. Of course, if you get into a car accident, that means you know gasoline could be leaking from the vehicle. Obviously, you want to go to a safe place if the vehicle still drives. You know, again, drive to a safe place, call law enforcement, let them know what just happened and your location, so they don't think that you just you know ran ran from the scene of an accident. If you're ever in a position that somebody is trying to carjack you and they want you to get out of the vehicle, it's always best to get out of the vehicle and uh, let them have the vehicle. Uh, 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 or, or if you're in a position to just drive. If you're in the driver's seat and it means you hitting the gas and going, that's always the best thing. You, you never want to engage with these people. If they're in front of you and they've got a gun, well, you duck a little bit, you hit the gas, and you go ba-dum, ba-dum, over them, you're in, in a much better position than you would be if you got out of the vehicle and were face-to-face with somebody with a gun. Right. You know, we don't have much time. I wanted to just ask you, and and I wish we did have more time because we only have another minute here, but in your book you speak a lot about attitudes. So as an overall, what kind of attitude in every kind of situation, whether we're at home and it sounds like a burglar is coming, or whether in our car or we're walking on the campus or we're walking downtown, what kind of attitude should we have? They say that it's not the size of the dog in the fight. They say it's the size of the fight in the dog. Okay? <laughs> attitude really is a little thing that makes a big difference. And if you have an attitude that if somebody was to do A, then I would do B, and I would get myself out of that dangerous situation at whatever cost. And that means throughout life, taking charge, being in control, knowing what your options are, taking a self-defense course, knowing what protection device you may or may not want to carry, reading a book, and knowing what your options are. Again, this life ain't no dress rehearsal. There are bad people out there, and if you want to protect yourself, you, you, you need to learn how to do it. And, and when you're empowered, when you, when you know how to protect yourself, you communicate that to all those around you. You become a beacon for what you've learned. You teach your friends, your family, your loved ones what their options are for their personal security as well. Thank you so much, Robert. We will have you back again, and we will have people go and look at your website. And let's have you just give that real quick again. I am online at idtheftsecurity.com. Again, that's idtheftsecurity.com. And they can also go and get Safety Minute, Living on High Alert, How to Control Your Personal Security and Prevent Fraud. It's a great book. I just read it. I loved it. Thank you, Robert. We will talk again. Fantastic. Thank you. Good night. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can look at our upcoming guests. You can download interviews. You can also download podcasts and write us emails about what you're interested about privacy and security and technology in the information age. Thank you and good night. Stay private. Good night. 
The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.